Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast with Andre Galliber. The Milwaukee Bucks came into the garden and did exactly what I expected them to do. I don't know why you guys are on Twitter tripping. Why? Because the Knicks had a little lead for half a second. I don't know what made you think the Knicks were going to win that game that whole time. If there was a meter rating my my enthusiasm and confidence that they were going to win that game, it never got above like five. If that, if that, not only because I'm just un, of the belief that the Bucks are just a bad matchup from the for the Knicks from top to bottom, but also because of how the game was playing out. The Knicks were giving up some open looks to the Bucks, and the Bucks had an extra pass to make on a lot of those rotations that they weren't making, and that extra pass was wide open. So what the Knicks were doing defensively wasn't really working. It was the Bucks were just missing a lot. They would do they were playing Giannis very well. And Giannis is the main reason why I don't think the Knicks can beat the Bucks. And I think I mentioned in the last show that the only person that could really get in Giannis's way was Randall, and Randall rarely does it. But he did it last night, and you gotta give him credit. Obviously, it takes more than one person. But the fact that it took so many people is the reason why the Knicks lost the game is because they gave up open shot after open shot. And Giannis wasn't even in the game when the Bucks really took control of it or, or really put the, the screws to the Knicks, I should say, in that fourth quarter. He wasn't even in the game. They just spread the court on them. Having Brooke Lopez be a very aggressive shooting five and also a defensive a huge defensive factor in the paint, one of the best paint defenders in the league, is a huge advantage for the Bucks, and it hurts the Knicks because the Knicks are a paint-scoring team, whereas a lot of teams around the league are not. They shoot much more outside shots and much more, I'm not going to say they're much more effective than the Knicks from, from the outside. I think those teams tend to get hot, run hot and cold. And when they get hot, they win games. When they go cold, they lose games. Um, but most teams, because they play small and because they're perimeter oriented more so than the Knicks are, the Bucks still one of the best defensive teams in the league because winning starts in the paint. But if teams get hot from the outside, it can, especially at the, at the big man position, can draw Brooke Lopez out of the paint and you can, you know, have some success. But the Knicks are always going to have somebody in the paint. That means Brooke Lopez is always going to be in the paint. And being a paint-scoring team, he's always going to be in your way. And then on the other side, because he's such an aggressive outside shooter and the Knicks give up so many outside shots, he's going to get plenty of looks. And so is everyone else. And a lot of the people that they had running at Brooke Lopez were, were guards, not bothering his shot. And he didn't knock down all of his shots. But just him being out there meant the Knicks had to scramble on a perimeter all the time. And that led to this loss. They overhelped in the paint constantly. They got stuck in mud on that help. This is one of the problems they had earlier in the year where they would overhelp dig in the paint but then not get back out to the shooters. Mitchell Robinson, for one, had been very good at that recently. 
but he was bad at it last night. And then some of that was just the Bucks. The Bucks were just really quick at making that pass. They didn't hold the ball that extra half a click that a lot of some players do. As soon as they saw that you were out of position, you took a false step. They made that pass. And the Knicks were just stuck in mud all night on the, on those plays. And the Bucks, the real only adjustment the Bucks had to make was to know that they had to keep making that extra pass and not force up contested shots. Probably used to that first shot or that second shot being open against most teams in the league. The Knicks being second in the league in defensive efficiency that wasn't open against the Knicks. And they were forcing that shot up and the Knicks were getting a hand in their face. And uh, it was a thought that I had at halftime. If they come out in the second half realizing that that third pass is going to be open, the Knicks are going to be in trouble. And that's eventually what happened. You saw a guy like Joe Ingles torch the Knicks, and he was out there coasting. And he was coasting because he was bigger than the Knicks defenders that were on him. Evan Fournier was in the game. He doesn't pose any kind of threat. So he was coasting. He was comfortable. He knew he can get whatever shot he wants. And anytime you see guys comfortable out there, then you know you're doing the wrong thing. <laughs> you know you're doing the wrong thing. And they were able to force him into some a couple bad passes, a couple bad plays. But the Bucks really felt like they were going to get whatever shot they wanted down the stretch of this game in, in the entire fourth quarter and the end of the third. And you kind of saw their writing on the wall there. They showed a lot of heart, I thought. The fact that they were a big game from Brunson, I think 44 points. An efficient 44 points at that made a ton of big shots down the stretch. And you're happy to see him have his mojo back. And his free throws seem like they're straight right now. They weren't straight. He was missing them left and right. So hopefully he's back in a little bit of a rhythm. The Knicks showed a lot of heart down that stretch of this game. They they let the Bucs back into the game. Obviously had their doldrums on offense and defense. But seeing the Knicks fight down the stretch of a lot of these games they're losing, it's a good sign. It's a good sign. But, again, you had that couldn't secure a defensive rebound down the stretch. Sometimes that's just happenstance sometimes. It was a big problem earlier in the season. I think it was a problem in this game only that it was a 50-50 ball that they didn't get. I didn't really see anything. I didn't see a lack of hustle or anything like that. Speaking of, Julius Randle, who I believe shot himself out of the game in the first quarter, being stubborn about that three-point shot. I've said it a thousand times. I don't like the contested three. Uh, Part of the NBA today is to shoot threes off the dribble when guys sag off you. I get it. But don't start the game just taking contested threes with no attack or anything. And the Knicks struggled to score a little bit to start the game because of the way he was taking those shots and he was being stubborn about it. I understand you want to keep shooting because you're confident in your shot or whatever, but that's not the way to go about it. You can't be so stubborn and so oblivious and tone deaf that you just keep throwing the shot up even though you're missing it. Attack the defense. And I understand the Bucks are a great defense and they're going to let, they're not going to let you score in the paint very easily. It's going to be tough in there with Brooke Lopez. I get it. I get it. I get it. But there are better shots than you just hoisting up threes, especially when you're not making it. And I think he shot himself out of the game because he was hesitant offensively for the rest of the game. Uh, I think uh, Clyde Frazier on the telecast brought up a play where he had an open mid-range and decided to take it to the rim. 
I like that. I'll be honest with you. He got a foul call. I like that. I'd rather him take it to the rim than miss that mid-range because he's too wide open. Julius Randle is the type of guy who will miss a shot because he's too wide open in a big spot. Take it to the rim, man. Go to the free throw line. And he didn't make his free throws, which was annoying. He did miss a free throw relatively late in the fourth quarter. Again, every missed free throw is a reason why you don't have a chance to win the game. The Bucks they're making their free throws. That's another thing that happened last night. Giannis made most of his free throws last night. There are games where he misses most of his free throws. He didn't even have a great game, but he made his free throws. So you couldn't even depend on fouling him and getting, you know, getting in the plus column on, on a couple of possessions because he's missing one of his free throws every time. So I just don't think the Bucks are a good matchup for the Knicks. It's all, Brooke Lopez being a big center, I always tell you that Mitchell Robinson cannot handle big centers. It's just that Brooke Lopez is not very active in the paint, so it doesn't kill you there. But him just being in the in the paint in general is the reason why the Knicks couldn't get some of those defensive rebounds down the stretch of the game. He was tipping it around. You saw Drew Holiday, one of my favorite players in the league, make some huge shots down the stretch. I'll tell you what. I don't know if some of the younger fans, uh, some of the younger listeners realize this because this was explained more often when I was growing up. I don't see it talked about very often now. But one of the reasons why after a dead ball, after a whistle, you'll see the player who had the ball, he might take a little practice shot. And you'll see sometimes defenders will jump up and knock that shot out. Just basically a goaltend, but it's after the whistle. And the reason why they do that is because they don't want you to see the ball go in. Obviously, a shooter wants to see the ball go in. That's why they tell you to get to the free throw line when you start the game, really. That's what they used to say. But if you're struggling, they'll say, get to the free throw line, see the ball go in, gain some confidence, maybe it straightens your shot out. You don't want to see shooters see the ball go in, especially if they're struggling. And there was a dead ball situation in the fourth quarter where Drew Holiday put up a jumper and nobody knocked it out and it went in. And I'm going to tell you the thought that was in my head when I saw it. Drew Holiday could not hit a shot before that. And when I saw that, I said, I wonder if that's going to straighten his shot out. Call me superstitious, call me whatever you want to call me. But Drew Holiday ended up hitting some huge shots down the stretch of that game after he made that shot. Knock that ball out of the rim. Stop being lazy. Don't let a bad shooter take a practice shot in the middle of the game. Just think about it. If you have ever played the game before and you're not shooting well, you get a chance to shoot a couple shots and straighten your shot out. These are pros. Knock that ball out of the rim. Don't let him make that shot. It was a lazy play. I'm not going to make a huge deal out of it. Some of you are laughing about it, but I'm telling you right now, it seemed like Drew Holiday was dead on after that. He didn't even touch the rim on those shots. And you often hear me talk about the Knicks' lack of having a true superstar who gets the respect of the referees, gets the benefit of the call, especially on both sides of the ball. But sometimes that's not really relevant. And I don't think it was relevant last night because um, Jalen Brunson played very well down the stretch of that game. He got a couple calls, not many, but he played very well down the stretch of the game. But the other guy, Julius Randle, had lost his mojo in the game and was not making good decisions. 
was turning the ball over, looked skittish, looked hesitant, and that hurt the team. And that's one of the reasons why they lose these close games. I mentioned this before. They need to know where to get their shots from. Jalen Brunson knows where to get his shots from. He's that skillful. Julius Randle does not. And if you're going to go to Julius Randle down the stretch of the game, you have to go to him in his most efficient spots against the mo- the best matchup you can find. And you have he has to have the process and game theory to know, okay, what shot do I want here? Let's not just give him the ball in random places on the court and expect him to make a play because he doesn't. Down the, stre- down the stretch, he doesn't. He gets a little, especially if he's not playing well, he gets a little skittish. He gets a little hesitant. He doesn't make the easy pass when he gets double teamed. He tries to make the assist pass. And that's the one, I'm going to call it selfish aspect of his game. Because I don't think he's a selfish player. But I think that's selfish. That's a selfish play. I don't think he sees it that way. I think he sees it as him making a play for his team. But when you're a double teamed, you have to make the first best pass. Don't hold the ball and let guys start settling in, zoning off, passing lanes, etc. Make the first best pass and trust your teammate to make the next pass. Because the next pass is what's probably going to be open. And against the Knicks, it wasn't the next pass. It was a lot of times it was the third pass, even though down the stretch. A lot of times it was the second pass because the Knicks were really mixed up down the stretch. And you're seeing Twitter just ablaze last night. There's a lot of a lot of nonsense on Twitter last night when the Knicks lost this game because you guys have had convinced yourselves that with a 17-point lead, the Knicks were going to win this game. And I don't know why. Why do you think that these leads with all this time left in the game is going to do anything? It's, going to, it's not going to do anything but make the other team hunker down and start playing better and harder. And when you're talking about a good team, a team that's better than the Knicks, that has matchup advantages all the way across the board, it's just a matter of time. Now, I make that point and often say teams lose lose leads all the time. And you guys are ready to jump off the bridge every time it happens. You want to fire everybody. Yeah, certain players, who they didn't play well. You want them benched. Like You guys are just tripping. However, I have to be fair. And I've always, like I said, I've always made that point. Everybody loses leads. The Knicks aren't good enough to maintain leads in the second quarter, up 18 points. But I had to go look it up because the Knicks have lost a lot of them. The Knicks are second in the NBA in lost leads. Second. First, lost. First is the Boston Celtics, and you know they're a little bit of a slide right now, a skid. They're number one, but the next three teams are not good teams. Right now, Golden State, they're not a good team right now. Detroit Pistons and the Lakers, who are a little bit on a little bit of a streak right now, but not a good team. And then you got the Sacramento Kings and the Philadelphia 76ers. That's a thing. We got to be fair. The Knicks are losing a lot of leads right now. And... We've talked about it before, but let's start kind of delving into why. And you guys, to be fair, most of you are fairly pointing fingers at Tom Thibodeau for these lost leads. 
you're over the top with it because the Knicks are top five in offensive efficiency and top two in defensive efficiency. So obviously the coach is part of that. So if you're going to blame the coach for them losing games, you have to blame them. You have to at least give him credit in them winning and how they're playing. I don't think Tibbs is the number one reason why they lose lose these leads, but I do think it is a main reason. And I, it's the same thing. I think his lack of adjustments is an issue. Tibbs is probably objectively one of the most prepared coaches in the NBA. You saw Andrew Wiggins, a guy who was rumored to not be a fan of Tibbs when he was with Minnesota. You saw him say the only other time in his career he was as prepared going into a game was when he was with Thibodeau in Minnesota. And this is him as obviously a Golden State Warrior and a champion. He said the only other time he was as prepared was when he was with Tibbs. Tibbs is prepared going into going into these games. The problem is that the other team is like, wow, we can't do this anymore. We got to do something else. And then Tibbs gets stuck on stupid, I think. And he's like, we know this works. So we're going to keep doing it. You're just not executing it, executing it correctly. And the reason why they're not executing it correctly is because you're asking them to do the impossible. <laughs> because the team has adjusted. And they're making quicker decisions. They're, you know, just subtle movements are a little bit different and makes it impossible to, or I shouldn't say impossible, but much more difficult to do the same thing that you were doing just a quarter before or a half before that was working. And he doesn't change. He doesn't say, okay, let's do something else. Just for a couple possessions and see if we can steal a possession here or there, knock them off their rhythm. He doesn't do that, and it drives me nuts, and it drives a lot of the fans nuts. If they unfairly criticize sometimes, even if some of these fans don't even know what they're talking about and don't have perspective, and still, it is kind of blatant when you see a team getting good shots all of a sudden when they weren't getting them before, and you keep doing the same thing, and they keep getting good shots, and it's happening for several games. Second in the league in, in lost leads. And I, again, there are some of these fans on Twitter, you would think that the Knicks are 0 in 40. A guy put on Twitter, it's just excruciating loss after excruciating loss. And the Knicks literally just won four games in a row. So, like, I don't know, I don't know where you're coming from on that, but I get it. But that is a main reason. It really is. And if he made an adjustment or two, if he put in a timely substitution for a matchup that maybe another guy would be better at the better at stopping than a guy you have in a game, then maybe the results would be different. And then he he's either slow to make the move or he doesn't make it at all. And I think that's a very fair criticism, and it's a frustrating thing to see. It really is. So it's a main reason, and Tibbs is always an easy target. Uh, legitimate, but not the only one. The, To me, the major reason is 
Julius Randle down the stretch of these games, when he gets the ball, he has to come through. And I don't mean to cast aspersions like he never does, but you have to get good shots every time. You have to go to the free throw line. You have to make those free throws. You have to make good decisions when the ball finds you. And Jalen Brunson has, he hasn't been perfect, but he has been making good decisions and making shots down the stretch of these games more so than Randall has. When they're not doing Brunson and they find, and the ball finds Randall, you got to make a play. You got to make the right play. It was a play down the stretch of this game where he jumped in the air, looking to pass to somebody, ended up throwing the ball away because people weren't where he wanted them to be. But the shot was yours. There was no double team. The shot was yours. And I think he his processing in some of these situations is not where you want it to be, or at least it's not where a superstar is. And Julius Brando has been playing great. All right? But he he needs to be more effective in his opportunities down the stretch of these games. He needs to know where to get his shots from, and he needs to be efficient, more efficient in knocking them down. And I think if Jalen Brunson is not coming down and hogging the ball and, and finding his own shot and drilling it, the Knicks struggle to find offense. And again, that can fall on Tibbs as well, and it should to some degree, but there is a lot of freedom in on the offense for the team, for the players on the team, and they're getting the ball, and they should make a play. That's just part of the NBA. High screen and roll is a big part of the NBA. That's what most teams do. And if the Knicks are going to do that, and the ball finds Julius Randle, he has to make the right play, and he doesn't most of the time. He doesn't. Not enough, I should say, to be fair, down the stretch of games. And then you get into not getting whistles and all of that stuff. But he doesn't when the ball finds him. And it has to because then it becomes wasted wasted possessions, if, especially if Jalen has it going and Jalen's like, all right, he, go ahead, Julius, you go ahead and make a play. And then he screws it up. It's like, come on. But you can, like I said, you can also blame Tibbs because there are no plays being called that put anybody else in a position, a good position to score. I I will start this campaign officially. Quentin Grimes should be getting more touches. Number one, he's excellent at attacking closeouts and rotating defenders. But he should also be getting some screen on-ball screen opportunities, and he doesn't. And I don't know why. And it's why would you limit? Why would you limit who gets screens? And some of that is Quentin because you see Evan coming to game. Evan will call for a screen sometimes. Sometimes they'll just go give it to him. But he'll call for it. And I think when the ball finds Quentin sometimes, he needs to just, all right, instead of just looking to pass to someone else, call for a screen, man. You're allowed. But, again, that's that's a Tibbs focus, and you got to put that bug in his ear. There are, right now, the Knicks have guys on the floor Outside of, let's say, maybe Mitchell Robinson or whoever's at the center position, every guy on the floor can make a play. Every guy in the rotation right now, maybe Sands McBride, he hasn't shown he can do that in the NBA level. Every other guy in the rotation right now can make a play off the dribble. Maybe they need a screen, but they can make a play off the dribble. And they should be given the opportunity to do it, and they're not. And again, that falls on Tibbs, but that also falls on the players. 
because the ball finds them. It's an open offense, and the ball finds them. They, they should make a play, and don't just give it up and toss it to Julius Randle every time. But like I said, I'm not going to put that weight on, on Grimes and even quickly, but Randall, when that ball finds you down the stretch, he has to make better plays, and he hasn't. And that's been, to me, one of the bigger reasons why the Knicks lose these leads because teams are going to put a rush on you and start making big shots regardless of what defense you're you're playing. That's just the NBA right now. But on offense, it's up to you to be efficient and get good shots, and that's how you stave off these comebacks. And that's a major reason why they're losing the games is, is they can't find consistent offense, maybe not in crunch time because Jalen Brunson has been that guy recently in these, some of these games. He's made crunch time plays. But when the lead is being lost at the five, six, seven, eight minute mark, that's when you need to be making these plays and, and you're not. And that comes down to, like I said, Randall and his decision making and other guys not being put in position to make plays and or not making plays when they're put in the position. Let's talk about Hardenstein for a minute. I think it's funny how quickly things change because I mentioned this a few times going all the way back to the summer. I said that Nick fans will fall in love with Hardenstein's floor game and they will call for him to play more than Mitchell Robinson. And that's what happened. That's what happened. Mitchell's getting foul trouble and Arnstein's floor game was impressing Nick fans. And why you give Mitchell Robinson all that money and Arnstein is better and he needs to start. <laughs> right? You even saw fantasy league experts talking about how Arnstein needs to play. And I don't know why they gave Mitchell the money and they just force feeding Mitchell Robinson in the lineup when Arnstein's a better player. And here we are now. And Twitter is ablaze with Nick fans saying Hartenstein needs to be benched. <laughs> benched. <laughs> you can't make it up. You can't make it up. They are calling for him to be benched. And he looked bad last night. He had a couple sequences where he looked really, really bad. And I, I suggested a trade early in the year when there were some rumors. I don't remember exactly what the rumor was. But Covington was available, and I was saying I think the Knicks should trade Hartenstein back to the Clippers because they don't use most of his skill set, and they don't. And again, you put that on Tibbs, there's no backdoor plays, when Tibbs, there's no high post options when Hartenstein is in the game, and he's really good at that, and of course the Knicks don't use it. Very frustrating. And just as a side note, maybe you don't fire Tibbs, but he needs an offensive coordinator. Someone needs to say, you know what, we need have someone else in there to design the offense. You can approve of it all you want, and he's been a student in Golden State. Coaches, coaches will go and sit and learn from other coaches when they're not working, when they're between jobs. He sat in Golden State practices. I know he sat in other practices of guys who are pretty good offensively. There's none of that in the Knicks offense. There's movement, but it's arbitrary movement and there's no read and react. He needs an offensive coordinator at the very least. And that's okay. It's okay to get an offensive coordinator. You don't fire the whole coach because he's weak at one thing or two things. You, you, you help him be better to me. That's the best way to do it because he's a good coach, I think. There, there's things that he needs to do better. 
And the Knicks had a real offensive coordinator who was empowered to actually add plays and draw plays up and, and take advantage of mismatches and take advantage of what guys did well. The Knicks would be a better team objectively. And Hartenstein is a good example of that. There are skills that Hartenstein has that are not being utilized when he's in the game at all. And if you're going to have him, if you're going to have him and pay him $8 million a year because of those skills and then not use the majority of those skills, then what is the point? That's why I said trade him. Trade him to the team that knows what he can do as opposed to a team that's like, ah, Hartenstein, I don't know, I don't know. The Clippers know what Hartenstein can do. They wanted to keep him. They don't want to play Covington. He's not been playing. Go get him. Covington satisfies, assuming he can still play defense. He satisfies one of the Knicks' needs is a guy who can, again, insurance in case Quentin Grimes gets hurt, having another wing player who can play defense and hit outside shots, which the Knicks don't have off the bench right now. If Grimes or quickly gets hurt, they don't have a wing defender to come in. They have wings, but they don't have a wing defender. And Covington can play three through five, maybe even some shooting guards, at least the last time I checked. Go ahead and trade Hartenstein back, and I think that's con- it's consistent because Covington's at the end of his deal, relatively speaking. So it it doesn't hurt you long term. It helps you short term. And if he still has it, he's a good player to have on your roster. He gives you stretch five potential against certain matchups. But it opens up the backup center position to Jericho Sims, which is consistent with what you're trying to do as a franchise. And, and that's see what you have in your younger players and see and see if what you saw that made you draft these guys is going to come to fruition. And Sims has made great strides. And I've made this point before. I think he's it may not seem like it, but I think he's a quick learner when it comes to basketball. He's not he was very, very raw last year. And he's still raw, but he's more he is more effective at a lot of the things that he was super raw at last year already. And it surprises me. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see him being able to be functional to some degree. And he's at the beginning stages of being functional around the rim with the ball. Something that he wasn't before. Okay? It was a 40% free throw shooter. Very low volume this year. But I believe he's still shooting 80%. Very low volume. But if you saw him shoot free throws last year, you know that there was no reason you would be confident that he was going to be able to shoot free throws. And if you see him shoot it now, it almost looks pure. He, he, I think he has. And defensively, he's a great athlete. He's not very big. He doesn't present defensive defensive um, rim protecting the way Hartenstein does, even though Hartenstein struggles a little bit compared to Mitchell. He is not, Sims is not a natural rim protector right now. He doesn't have super long arms. He's not super tall. He's just very athletic, but his strength and his athleticism can be intimidating sometimes. Sometimes nobody's intimidated by it and they just make layups over him. Other times, him being in position, him being quick, and him being athletic presents an issue. Because it's not consistent, Hartenstein is sometimes the better option because he's a better rebounder, he's in the spot fairly often on time, and because he's a bigger guy, he does present an issue at the front of the rim more so than Hartenstein. I'm sorry, more so than Sims does. I should say more consistently than Sims does. And that's why Hartenstein is playing. 
But I don't think you win more games because Hartenstein is in the game. I think there are other things that Jericho does that Hartenstein can't do that help you win. So I think it's a net, I think it's a net even at, at worst. And if Mitchell can't do what he needs to do, I'm sorry, if Sims can't do what he needs to do at the front of the rim, you pull him. And it's good to have three centers on this roster because Mitchell's in foul trouble a lot and Jericho gets in foul trouble a lot. So yeah, you not having three centers, but Covington, if you got if you got Covington in that deal, and Covington can Covington can play a little bit of five, and so can Randall play a little bit of five. Listen, what you're trying to do here, you're not winning a championship this year. Are you trying to win games? Yes. Are there reasons why you would not want just to have two centers on this roster? two true centers centers on this roster for the Knicks? Yes. But I think it's net even at worst, net positive at best, if you moved Hartenstein, got off of him, made room for Jericho, I think it's a net positive for this season, but I think it's a great positive going forward because it's more experience for him, and I think there's potential with him. And if you made that specific deal... I think Covington offers dimensions on both offense and defense in certain positions because he probably would not be in a rotation. So it would be spot duty the way Jericho Sims is spot duty now that Obi's back. But it would be a spot duty that's adding a dimension that you don't currently have. You see the Knicks don't have enough power forwards on the roster. Obi gets hurt and they got to play two centers. Covington is, he helps that and he helps on the wing and he helps if you got defenders in foul trouble, he solves other problems. That's why I think that deal is a net positive short term and long term for the Knicks. But the comedy of it is how quickly you guys turned on Hartenstein. That's how, that's how just finicky you guys are as fans and sometimes as analysts that you turn on Hartenstein like he's out here like looking like a bum a guy said that he's not an NBA player that's just ridiculous as a guy last time I checked was top 10 in, in defensive rebounding percentage top 10 you saying he's not an NBA player but I think I do think the Knicks would be better off short term and long term if Jericho Sims took over the backup center position. I don't think it makes sense to bench Hardenstein because he's still better at Jericho or more consistent than Jericho on a, at a lot of things. But I do think they should trade him. I do. It was a mistake to bring him in because you don't use what he does well. And he's not hitting outside shots, nor do you ask him to shoot that many. But he's not hitting them. He's not hitting them. He doesn't have the makeup to hit it. And this is what I mean by that. Some guys, they don't hesitate to shoot. And they are confident shooters, even though they don't get that many shots. That's the kind of shooter that you want. That's the shooter that you want at that position. If you're not going to ask him to shoot that shot that much, then you need a guy who is effective when he gets that shot. Not a guy who can maybe hit it. Jericho can shoot the same percentage that Hartenstein is shooting right now. I don't care what anyone says. I've seen Jericho's shot now. It's decent. I bet you Jericho can knock that shot down at the same rate that Hartenstein can. 
Because Hartenstein is not a confident shooter and he doesn't get that shot enough to be efficient. I've seen NBA play Pataze, Pataze, I think that's how you say it, Pataze, on the Pacers. That guy always drives me crazy because every time he comes in the game against the Knicks, he's lights out. This guy barely play and he come against the Knicks, he's knocking everything down. That's the type of player you have to have if you're not going to get that many shots. He has to be that confident of a shooter where shooting is just second nature to him. Not a guy who had to, has to work so hard on his shot that he's thinking when he finally gets it because he only gets a shot every two, three games. So if he's not shooting threes and stretching the floor and he's not passing, then he's really not worth the $8 million you paid him. And he's not better for your franchise than Jericho Sims is. And that's just the way that is. So anyway, this was a game I had the Knicks losing. It's not the end of the world to me. It is a consistent negative pattern on losing leads and not adjusting and Randall not making plays down the stretch. And I talked about this all year. These are things that you want to see improvement on this year. The wins and losses are one thing, but you want to see improvement on th- on, from players that are supposed to be here long term. And right now, Randall's that guy. And Tibbs is that guy. So you want to see them improve on things that are going to be issues long term. And you're not seeing that right now. And that's got to be trouble. But on the wins and losses front, the Knicks have a stretch of games here where they might have a chance to win three, four games in a row now that Milwaukee's out of the way. Because that was a loss that I thought was coming. Sorry. But don't forget, sportsethos.com, there's a lot of guys making a lot of money with some of the experts they have, with fantasy and wagering. I'm not a big... I've done some daily fantasy in the past. I'm a little too busy right now to dig into it, but I might before the season is out because these guys are winning. So check it out, sportsethos.com, at sportsethos on Twitter, at ethosnicks. Until next time. <laughs>